And we're reading this morning from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 46, and the first part of verse 47. I want to read it, and we're going to talk about how significant that saying is today and yesterday that the body's most effective when the body ministers to the body. Verse 46, Dr. Luke says, And day by day, attending the temple together, underline that, star that, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So, again, just in case you're trying to catch up with us, you're jumping in, week 11 of us talking about this, Okay, the early church, they submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord, repented and were baptized. They, um, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Peter's message, all in Acts 2. And then in verse 42, it shifts, and it says, and, the, and those that were um, called to him devoted themselves to some things. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to what we're doing here. We're opening the Word of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, right? And then generosity fell among all the people, right? And, 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 it, and it had some fruits. It had some result, results that signs and wonders and awe fell upon all of them, right? And then Ian talked about last week the generosity, which we're going to kind of touch on again today. And then we see, and day by day, so, so Luke is wrapping up what he's talking about here with the early church, the church being gathered, the church launching day by day, they gathered together. Now, you may find it as coincidence, but I didn't think about this. I didn't look at the calendar and plan all of this, but we're talking about togetherness and the importance of gathering as the body of Christ. On the one-year anniversary of this Sunday last year, where we had one service, if gathering just ended yesterday, and we would have had one service today because we just thought we had to cancel something, but we didn't really know what to do and what was happening, and we were hearing things and trying to get all the information. It seemed like every, all the information was changing every 15 minutes. Every time you refreshed the page, you didn't really know what to do and didn't really know how to handle it. You didn't really know how to manage it. Were gatherings a good idea? Were they a bad idea? How do you do it? How do you not do it? This is the one-year anniversary of us doing one service. We were recording the service on an iPhone to, so that we could be Facebook Live for all the folks that didn't have it. We didn't have a video camera yet. We didn't have a streaming service yet. We didn't have audience microphones yet. We weren't, we, weren't an on, we weren't cool. Like, we weren't hip in the virtual church world. Like, we weren't. And, and we got there, like, overnight. Because this is, like, the one year. And, and Wednesday, St. Patrick's Day last year, I would have had a breakfast meeting at the Blue Pig in Gorham. I remember what I ate that day, too, but I'll spare you that. Okay? I had a breakfast meeting with one of our elders at the Blue Pig Wednesday morning. And then Wednesday afternoon, everything shut down. Blue Pig shut down. School shut down. For two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. That's not me being critical, but I'm just saying, this is the one-year anniversary of the two weeks to flatten the curve. Okay? And so, celebrate this week. Get you a cupcake or a Frosty or something. I mean, do something significant, okay, to celebrate Right? But this is that week. And now we're talking about in a year of 
social awkwardness, right? Do we elbow bump? Do we like foot tap? Like that Sunday a year ago, I kid you not, me and a couple elders from our church were greeting each other by foot tapping. I like to forget that. I didn't talk about that in the first service. I just remembered that. That was a dark place. Anyway, but like we're in a year of social awkwardness where gathering has been questioned, limited, avoided, all of that. Here we are talking about how the early church devoted themselves to the gathering, to togetherness, to this as being important. Day by day, they gathered together. They broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And so this morning, I just want to walk through that. I want to walk through how the early church gathered together. And, and, uh, and I pray that this touches you the way that it's touched me as, I prepare, as I've prepared it. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This was important because this was the church. They went to church, and then they were the church. See, we're really good at going to church. We're not always the best at being the church. But we go to church. Hear me now, hear me, because we're going to push each other this morning, okay? We go to church so that we can be the church. See, many of us have overemphasized what we're doing here. I just got to get them to church, right? I just got to get them to church. No, you just got to get them to Jesus. Like, that's way better. That's way more important. And if your church isn't going to get them to Jesus, then we should probably have a deeper conversation. Okay? Right? But, like, we, that's what we think. We've, 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 we've bought into this mentality as the body of Christ of just going to church. And forgetting the whole second part of this, right, that they gathered together but then they did it day by day in their homes. And we're going to talk about why they did that in just a minute, right? But we've got to get to the fact that, that, that yes, this is important, but just as important is going out and being in the church. If all we're doing, if our whole spiritual life, if our whole relationship with God is wrapped up in this 60 to 90 minutes once a week, we are failing as the body of Christ. We are not accomplishing what he has called us to do as his sons and daughters. Let's go one more step. We are not accomplishing what he's called us to do as his bride. Jesus refers to what we're doing here, the body of Christ, as his bride. Have you ever considered how we treat the bride? Have you ever considered how passive we are about the bride? If this is the bride of Christ, that should mean some things, right? And here, let me, let me set some of you free, because I know some of you are like, you're already feeling a little beaten this morning, and some of you are like triggered because you've got walls built up around your heart because of what the gathering has done to you, because of what the gathering has has produced in you, right? And there's some dark things in there. Like there's some things that, 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 that we've got to uncover. There's some things that we've got to be sensitive to. I want you to hear my heart. That's my goal, right? But before we go any further, I want you to know, because I want to set some of you free here this morning. 
There is no one in this room that is more critical of the church than me. Trust me. Trust me. There's no one. That is one of the things over the last week as I have prepared this message, as I've put this together, as I've spent time with the Holy Spirit wrestling on where to go, where not to go. It's one of the things that God, I believe, has convicted me so deeply on is is how critical I am of what we do here. And I could easily justify it. I could easily explain it away. Well, you know, whole excellence and all these different things, all these different excuses that we use and, 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 and permissions for me to be critical and to say this isn't right or this isn't great or yada, yada, yada. And so if you're sitting here this morning, I want you to know I'm not slapping your hand any harder than I'm slapping mine because I'm slapping mine the most, the most hardest. Okay? That's perfect English. Okay, the most hardest. Any English teacher? Oh, no, I don't even want to know because I won't be able to look at you the rest of the service. But when we see this, the gathering of believers, and yes, that includes others that are doing exactly what we're doing around town. And we talk about the gathering. We would do well to remember that we are talking about the bride of Christ when we gather. The bride of Christ. So let's jump back. Day by day, meeting together, gathering in their homes, breaking bread together in their homes. The early church was marked by faithful attendance, meeting together daily in the temple courts. What'd they do? I'm glad you asked. We know already from the things that they devoted themselves to, right? They were devoted to the signs and wonders, to the awe of God, to the worship of the Father, right? They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to breaking bread, the communion, but also sitting around the table together and having fellowship, right? We've talked a lot about that. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That was foundational, It was foundational to the early church. They were devoted to a culture of repentance and forgiveness and grace of of, of sin, right? They were devoted to the gift of the Holy Spirit fulfilling each and every believer because without that, there's no fulfillment, right? They were devoted to these things. They were devoted to the lordship, i.e. the authority of the person and work of Jesus within the body because without him, they're nothing, They were devoted to these things. And so day by day as they gathered, we can surmise that they prayed together. They gave. And out of their generous hearts that Ian talked about last week, they ate bacon and they rejoiced together. Right? And and, and what we can gather by all of this is that they practiced the presence of Jesus. They practiced the presence of Jesus. And they did it together. And they did it together. And we see that day by day, attending the temple together, that's one, and breaking bread in their homes, that's two. Because they couldn't hold their gatherings in the temple alone. It wasn't possible. I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago when we talked about worship and awe. There was not a room 
There was not a gathering place. There was not a gathering place that could have held the 3,000 people that were now calling themselves the bride. Right? And so they would have probably gone in waves to the temple for worship, right? And then they would have scattered to be the church in their homes, breaking together, breaking bread together. And this, this first church, this first body, right? We talk about ecclesia, the gathering of believers, the word for the church, the Greek word for the church. It was actually what we see here in Acts 2.46, breaking attending uh, the temple together, what we see is ecclesiola. Changes the end of the word ecclesia, the ending of it, because ecclesia and then ecclesiola. Because what it really was, house churches. That was really the movement we see here. Francis Chan began a movement in San Francisco where they have 83 house churches. And that's their, that's their church. It's made up of 83 small groups right? Right? That blows our mind when we think about it. Well, how do they do that? What's the infrastructure? What's the leadership? None of that matters because they're just gathering together because they feel like that's what God's told them to do, right? And we look at that and we're like, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome, right? They went from house to house, ecclesiola, house churches, because they didn't have a place big enough to house the 3,000. Now listen to this. I'm going to do this very quickly. Maybe we'll try to post this on the book of face later. Um, but, but in the book of Acts, where did the church meet? 246, house to house. That's what we've read this morning. Acts 542, house to house. Acts 83, house after house. Acts 10-2, Cornelius' house. Acts 12-12, Mary's house. Acts 1632, the jailer's house. Acts 1640, Lydia's house. Acts 187, uh, Titius Justice's house. Excuse me. Acts 2020, house to house. Romans 16:5, Priscilla and Aquila's house number one. 1 Corinthians 16:19, Priscilla and Aquila's house number two. Colossians 4:15, Nympha's house. Philemon 1:2, Philemon's house. You get the point. House to house. One of some of one of you just said yes. Move on. Okay, that was a lot. Okay, I was like, had a little trouble following you there, okay? Right? But we, but we see here, right, that they didn't make much of the four walls. Now, let me say something real quick here because we're, you know, we just did a building campaign. We're trying to build a place. I think there is something extremely valuable about the gathering place. As long as it's not a place that you worship, but a place where worship happens. Right? That's a big distinction, too many of us worship the place, not the God of the place, okay? And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of those that's going to jump on board and be like, hey, you know, because I think we need to value and appreciate the blessing that is, and especially over the past year. I mean, think about it. We're limited right now. We're trying to find a room big enough to even do 50%, 75% in May because the guidelines have changed. And we're trying to wrestle. We're trying to uncover every open space, open room imaginable so that we can try to meet someplace where we can serve more of you and not have six or seven services because um, I think I have limitations. And anyway, um, so like, I think the place is important. I mean, it was here. They attended the temple together, but then that produced the passion to break bread in their homes. 
And far too often, we see movements of churches that pick one or the other and think it's an either or, and I submit to you that it's a both and. You do one so that you can do the other. You do one so that you can do the other. One pastor that I used to follow quite a bit and have a high amount of respect for, he said, our small groups are house churches that come together on Sunday morning and just celebrate what God did throughout the week in their house churches. What a beautiful vision and picture for a church, right? That the gathering, the ecclesia, is the celebration of the ecclesiola. That it's the celebration of the conversation you had with your wife around the dinner table where you worshiped God and your kids saw it and all of a sudden they were testifying about the goodness of God in their lives at school or here or there, right? And a celebration. You come on Sunday morning and you're like, man, that's awesome, right? High-fiving, elbow-bumping, foot-tapping, right? Each other, okay? It's a both-and. We do one so that we stir the passion for the other, and the truth is, they adapted. A move of God happened. 3,000 came to their, 3,000 were repented and were baptized. Acts 2 41. 3,000 souls. They adapted and figured out how to continue meeting. It was necessary for them, it was essential for them, it was valuable and important for them. And we've seen that over the past year, haven't we? No doubt we've probably been disappointed for how our church life has been affected over the past year. I've asked questions that I never thought I would have asked before over the past year. Well, how can they feel comfortable going and getting ice cream, but they don't feel comfortable coming to church? And I know it's outside and Beals versus church. Like, I, that's a wrestle, okay? I, I, okay, I, I, I think... I know where you're coming, but like, and I get it, there's less people and, the, you know, all, all this stuff. I'm not, I'm not, but it was valuable to this group of believers. It was important. So they figured out how to make it happen. They figured out how to make it happen. And I want you to see what it led to for them. They gathered together in the temple day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Look at what's next. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were fulfilled with glad and generous hearts. It wasn't, it wasn't what we think, okay? It wasn't what we think, where we, where we gather together for a meal, and we go, and we get there, and then the moment comes when the steak and lobster is placed right in front of you, and you're like, glory, just leave me for a little while, right? That wasn't the point. I mean, you think about this for a second. They're doing this day by day. The meals were not glorious, more than likely. It, it, it wasn't something that they probably threw on the grill. It was probably bread, that was more than likely the meal that they were eating together, day by day, in their homes. And they received it with glad and generous hearts. How many of you have ate dinner at that family's house? Where you left and went to Booger King on the way home? Right? Because you just couldn't stomach what was placed in front of you. Right? Come on now, don't be shy, be in church. Don't lie in church, right? You've seen, we've all experienced that. We, Kristen and I have gone to these fundraiser banquets 
where they put like three peanuts in front of you and call it a meal. And we've leaned over to each other and be like, all right, where, where you want to go grab something to eat on the way home? Because like, this is a joke, right? We're, we're, we, we like our comfort, right? And so we read this. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Men, no doubt, prime rib, right? No, it wasn't about the food. It was about what was happening at the table. And they received it with glad and generous hearts, meaning they were fulfilled. You know that word generous means overflowing? Overflowing. They were overflowing with joy. They were overflowing with worship. It was oozing out of them. And here's the problem. Here's the problem is that many of us fill a seat every Sunday and we're not leaving fulfilled. And we're not leaving fulfilled. Because the point of our worship is not Christ. It's us. All of this, the gathering, the coming together, and and over the last year, more than ever, has become about our comfort, our safety, than it has worshiping the God of the universe that gave us the gift of gathering together. For us to be fulfilled, like, how many of us said it? It was the inspiration for this whole 12-week series, right? How many of us have said it? Oh, that we could be the Acts 2 church again. Oh, I read this, Acts 2, 42 through 47, and think, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome? Signs and wonders happening, awe of God, Holy Spirit filling, breaking bread, sharing anything as any had need, everything as any had need, right? I want that. Let me tell you something, we don't get it until the source of our worship changes. There's got to be a shift. There's got to be a shift. We have a saying around here, you've probably heard me say it before, God will meet you at the level of your expectation. God will meet you at the level of your expectation. So many of us are unfulfilled by the bride of Christ, by the body of Christ, by the gathering of believers, the ecclesia, the ecclesiola, everything, because our expectation is off. We have an expectation for the style of music. We have an expectation for the length of the sermon. We have an expectation for, 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 for the style of sermon. He better make me laugh. If he doesn't make me laugh, if he doesn't entertain me, if he doesn't tickle my ears, I want nothing to do with him, and it better be a hymn. It should best not be a heart. You know, like all these different, we have all these different expectations and boundaries and, and, and parameters that we've put on church, that we've put on the ecclesia, the gathering of believers that aren't in scripture. You don't find them here, which means they're all preference. They're all opinion. They have no basis on scripture and they're all about us. They're all about us. They're all about us. I mean, used to, Bruce Elder, Mike Tilton, you guys, Carsons, uh, Bartless, I mean, you guys that are a little more, man, I've dug a hole, seasoned. 
okay? Just keep, just keep digging, okay, right? Let's move on, okay, forgive me, love you, mean it, okay, all right. We remember, right, we remember, I'm placing myself in your category, okay? There was a day where you could see a church sign out by the side of the road, and you could, you could know some things about that gathering based on the sign. First Baptist Church of so-and-so. Right? Pentecostal Holiness Church of so-and-so. Church of God, you know, uh, you know so, so right? You could know some things. There was kind of a standard. All that's out of the window now. Right? As a result, you know what the front door of every church is? Website. Just, just, whew, let me try again. Statistics say that people listen to at least three sermons before they'll ever check you out on a Sunday morning. They won't check you out. They're, they're, man, they're getting it. Let me tell you something. If you're listening to this online and you can't see me, you're missing the message. Just be honest with you. You're missing the message. I'm not educated like some of the preachers you're going to listen to, and they're going to wow you with their education. And I'm just way more excited about Jesus than education because, uh, anyway, it's just, I, I get misinterpreted a lot when people just listen to me. They don't get to see me run around up here. But you used to be able to expect a standard. Music, dress code, that unspoken dress code, right? Come as you are, but does come as you are really mean come as you are? You know, and, and so you kind of got to test that out. You got to try that out. As long as you're dressed, we're good. Okay? That's probably like the, anyway. But there's expectations. And here's where it gets even deeper. I expect you, pal, meaning me, to meet my needs. And if you don't, in the first three, four weeks, I'm out of here. I can't tell you the number of pastors that censor their convictions especially over the past year, for the sake of you staying in those seats. I hear things at pastors' meetings like, oh, I could never say that. Oh, I could never go there. Pastors not willing to talk about the Old Testament anymore. We don't have the new without the old. Pastors unwilling to talk about repentance and sin anymore because it makes us feel bad. Because of conviction. Right? And, we've, and we've placed these walls around what was supposed to be a place that we just sang about, freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. And let me tell you something. Here's the crux of this, right? Because we're talking about fulfillment. Receive their food with glad and generous hearts overflowing. Many of us are not being fulfilled these days within church because of our expectations on the church. And let me tell you the number one way right now that the devil is dividing the church in America. You ready? For those of you that aren't very observant, masks. And we've got to talk about this. We've got to talk about this. Let me tell you why we've got to talk about this. Because I refuse 
as your shepherd, as your pastor, thank you for letting me be your shepherd this morning, I refuse to allow the devil to split the church over a piece of cloth. If I had a dollar for every conversation that I've had about these over the last 365 days, we could pay the building off debt free. And so let me show you. There's two camps, right? We have, and, and listen, 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 this is so hard for me because I love both camps. Like, I love you deeply. And if I'm being honest, I'm somewhere in the middle trying to figure out what in the world to do. All right? So here in my heart, I've had conversations with many of you individually, but if you're feeling called out and again hand slapped this morning unfairly, I apologize. That's not my intention, but we've got to talk about the deeper issue here. Okay? This camp over here feels like if you're not wearing a mask, you don't care about my safety and my well-being and my health. Right? It's a physical need, right? If you're not wearing a mask around me, you don't care about me. Now, before you jump to conclusions and you're like, yeah, but that's how they feel, okay? That's their heartfelt belief. I would even go as, no, okay. That's their heartfelt belief. That is how they feel, right? And what are we called to do? Love our neighbors. And then over here, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, it's a spiritual issue. They're oppressive. And so I can't support wearing a mask. I can't tell you the number of pastors over the six, last six or seven weeks that have called me or texted me and said, dude, you've got to stop preaching in the mask. You've got to stop it. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. Okay? I can't tell you the number. I can, I, I'll, you can look at my phone in between services. I got nothing to hide. Okay? Although I'm following a lot about March Madness right now, so don't judge me <laughs> if you look at my phone. Okay, the bubble's big and tonight's a big... Anyway, right? But they see it as oppressive. couple comments here, my oppressive folks. Listen, we don't know oppression in the American church. We don't know that. We don't know that. Somebody told me a few weeks ago, it's like someone's got a hand over your mouth while you're up there preaching, right? Okay, what about the churches in India that can't even see the person that's bringing the gospel because there's no light. And all they have, they don't even have the scriptures in front of them. All they have is the person's voice. That's oppression. So, so us sitting in the, I won't say comfy chairs, but sitting in the chairs this morning, I know they're not comfy. We don't, we're not taking them with us. Don't worry. Okay? But you're sitting in a chair and it's holding you up for now. Okay? We don't know that. But, again, in the same way, in the same way as I don't feel safe, they feel that it's oppression, and we have to honor that. We have to hear that. We have to listen to that. Right? We have to hear that. Okay? And so I have issues with both of you. All right? But here's the deeper issue. Hear me. Right now, we don't have a choice. Because I'd rather meet with you and wear a mask than the alternative. And the guidelines around me meeting with you right now means that every person that is even carrying out the worship service put one of these on, pal. And so then, 
If we don't, and hear me, hear me, we just got to go here because it's scriptural, okay? If we don't, then it's an authority issue. This isn't asking me to sin. Right? And so I'm being asked, as a, as a citizen, as a pastor, as I carry out services, to do this. It's not sin. The authorities have been placed over me to dictate these things. And Scripture says that all authorities are placed there by God. And so if I'm trying to buck that, that's rebellion against what God has placed over me in authority. Now, if, I'm, if, 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 if something comes down and there's a new mandate and says, you can preach this, but you can't preach that. You can do this, but you can't. Listen, we'll have some conversations. We'll have some conversations. But until that moment, until somebody's standing back there ready to take me away from Kristen and the kids, right, then we can do this. Why? Because the gathering is so much better than the alternative. It's so much better. It's so much better. So much better. But we're allowing this to steal our joy and affect our worship. And if the devil can divide us with this, you think he'll stop there? Come on now. Come on now. It's an authority thing. And again, I've struggled. Some weeks I lean more here. Some weeks I lean more here. I have so many questions. Dylan and I are counting down, the, and Ian who preached last week, we're counting down the days to where we don't have to sing with this thing on. Because there's songs that we're not singing because of the breath it takes. And these guys up here leading worship have a limit of, of that breath. Like they just can't do it for that much. They can't. Sunday night, when I get done preaching the Sunday night service, I go home exhausted. I don't know how my kids play basketball in this thing twice, three times a week. It's unreal to me. But you know who's not struggling with this? Kids. They have no issue. My little girl, Micah, said at the beginning of school, she said, I'll do whatever I have to do to be around my friends. Oh, that we, and talking about school, oh, that we would have that same mentality in the bride of Christ. That the gathering is more important than a little piece of this. You hear me? I love you, but we've got to start listening to each other. We've got to start caring about each other. I mean, we could, we could go, I mean, you know, the, you, know, you, you know the other big thing that I feared for four years? Republican and Democrat. Because there's so, it, it's a conversation within the church that you're not allowed to have, you're not supposed to have because it's too divisive. Let me tell you something, we can find things to agree on that are far more important than the things we don't agree on. And the enemy is getting no greater joy than dividing us by these little things. We will not be fulfilled as the body of Christ as long as we replace the creator of the universe that we're called to worship with our own comforts. So what did it lead to? 
Their fulfillment led to two things that we've got to talk about. It led to praising God. It led to praising God. This is breaking bread in their homes. Praising God. Praising God. Listen, the main thing in the book of Acts, the main theme is witnessing. It's the, it's the furtherance of the gospel. It's, it's, it's the expansion of the kingdom. Okay, Witnessing. The missionary journeys. Paul went on three missionary journeys in, in, in 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Okay, Three missionary journeys. It was, it, was, it was founding the church and spreading the gospel. But secondly, the second theme that we see in the book of Acts is praising God. Praising God. Like the worship of who he is. Lifting up his name. Praising him. I was, um, I was at the funeral yesterday, and Dylan sang, um, I Can Only Imagine. It's a song, you, you may have heard it, it was, it was popular a long time ago, it was on the radio a little bit. Um, I've heard that song thousands of times, like, I, I, and that's probably not an exaggeration, probably not an exaggeration, but Dylan was asked to sing it by his father at, the, at his grandfather's funeral, and he gets up there and does a phenomenal job. I mean, you can only you can only imagine Dylan doing up there, getting up there. Doing, I recorded it on my phone. It's awesome. I'll play it. You can when you're searching my phone in a little bit, you can play it. <clears throat> but you know, and it's it's just like reading scripture. I mean, sometimes you hear a worship song and a lyric just jumps off at you like it never has before. And yesterday, as I'm sitting there in that in that sanctuary for this service, Dylan sang. I can only imagine when all I ever do is forever worship you. I can only imagine when all I ever do is forever worship you. The beauty of when we gather together, like like one thing we know about heaven is it's eternal worship. Right? I mean, it's eternal worship. That's what we see in Scripture. We don't know if we're going to recognize each other. We don't know, I mean, all, all those things. I hate to burst your bubble, but like, we can't prove those things in Scripture. Okay? But we know it's going to be a, an amazing time of worship. When we gather together on Sunday mornings to worship and to praise God, we're auditioning for heaven. It's practice. Like we get to come together and nothing else matters. Like if you're faithful, if you're faithful, if I'm faithful, like if we're, if we're faithful, the money doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. If God's doing his thing, if we're praising him, he's going to stir in us the need. He's shown up time and time and time again. We don't, we don't have to worry about that stuff, right? If your eyes are on Jesus, there was a band way back in the day called the Supertones, and they had a song like, if, if your eyes are on the Lord, you can't see nobody's hair, because the bleaching of hair and the mohawks and all that was way important, and kids were getting like scolded in church because they had crazy hair, and these guys wrote a song, and they were like, if your eyes are on the Lord, you can't see nobody's hair, right? Because it doesn't matter, right? All you're doing is worshiping God, and so if you're worshiping God, you don't see their issue, right? You don't see their problem. You don't see their deficiency, Right? And so they, they, just, they just gather and they worship God, praising God. And when our eyes are on Him, nothing else matters. And it's, and it's, and it's a practice for what we're going to be doing for eternity. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to limit that. I don't want to limit that. 
I mean, we're already talking about Easter Sunday. We're doing an 8 service, 9, 30, 11. That means, like, i got to cut my sermon in half. Yikes. Right? And some of you are like, well, you're t- you should really think about that because attention spans. Okay. Sure. Right? Praising God was at the heart of the church. It's all that mattered. It's all that mattered. And then having favor. Look at this. Having favor. Having favor. I love it. Oh, there we go. I couldn't find it because I was on the wrong page. Praising God and having favor with all the people. This was the reputation of the church. Because they were praising God, they had favor with all the people. God gave them favor. God gave them favor. God gave them favor. Right? We don't have to get anybody anywhere or anything. We've got to pray for them and be obedient to how the Holy Spirit leads us with that person. I was having a conversation with a mentor one time. He's like, what are you most frustrated about? I said, most? I got like a list, bro. He said, no, what are you most frustrated about? I'm like, I don't know how to get them to value worship. And the M, the E-M, apostrophe E-M that I was talking about was you. And this was like three, four years ago. I don't know how to get them to value worship. I don't know how to get them. And he's like, listen, the first thing you've got to do is get rid of the get Because you can't get them to do anything. The Holy Spirit does. And so if you want your people to value worship, start praying for your people to value worship and be obedient to anything that he tells you to do. thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard because it was so convicting. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Okay, one more hard thing we got to deal with. Because the truth in this, the having favor with all the people, it's hard. Because the church is known more for what it's against than what it's for. Right? I mean, the church knows more for our boundaries and what we're against than what we're for. I mean, listen, if, if, if it came down, right, and I could only preach one sermon for the rest of my life, one sermon, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, if I could only preach one sermon, here's my outline. God loves you. Like, he loves you so much. He loves you so much. Here's my three points. Jesus. He loved you so much that he gave Jesus. Point number two, Holy Spirit, the helper. Jesus had to go into heaven so that, so that the helper could come and be with you. And then, and then example number three of God's love for you, the church, the body of Christ, the gift that is this, the gathering of believers. Because you're not alone. And we're meant to celebrate together and worship together and praise Him together to point others to Him, not us, Him. Him. But here's the thing we've got to overcome. Here's the thing we've got to overcome is we keep getting black eye after black eye after black eye from these things called celebrity pastors, which I don't even know where we got that term. And so a lot of our job as the body of Christ is clean up. 
Clean up on the politics aisle. Clean up on women in ministry. Clean up on style of music. Clean up on Bible translation. Clean up on Ravi Zacharias. Let me tell you something. Because I can talk about them because there is one. If you're a turtle on a stump, you didn't get there by yourself. We, as the body of Christ, are as much to blame for these things we call celebrity pastors and the, and, the, and the things that they do that bring harm to the body as anyone. We are. Somebody's got to buy their books. Somebody listens to those messages. Chris, we got another black eye last Sunday. Leave church, check out this YouTube video. It's this pastor for 90 seconds talking about trophy wives and not every wife can be a trophy wife, but summer's participation trophy. Like, I don't, I don't even know. It was bad. And, and no planet is that okay. Right? Some of you are like, well, I need to hear the whole context. No, it was bad. Okay? But, here, but here's the thing when I showed it to Kristen, my wife, that night, what broke her heart so much was all the people in the congregation amening. Preach! Preach! Listen, that turtle didn't get on that stump by himself. What he said was wrong. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. On no planet is that okay. Okay? On no planet is what Ravi Zacharias did okay. But how in the world, with as many people as he had around him, was he, was he able to be in such isolation? We don't do well at holding each other accountable. We don't do well at accomplishing the call of God to be the gathering of believers that God intended us to be, to hold each other's arms up. And yes, that means pressing into difficult things, church. May the world know more about what we're for than what we're against. God's love for us and God's love for them. So I'm going to close with this. As a result, there's three things that we've got to talk about with the gathering. I'm going to do this real quick, I promise. As much as I can promise. Because we see that every believer in the New Testament belonged to a church. All the stories we get about Jesus are from churches. The Holy Spirit is most present among people who are committed to following Jesus and loving one another. So the truth about the church is three things. Number one, church will always be imperfect. Now, we do a good job saying this. I'm not sure we do a good job believing it. We will always be imperfect. Right? You've probably heard the saying. If you find the, if you find the perfect church, please don't go there. You'll ruin it. Please. Please don't go there. You'll ruin it. 
Church is defined as assembly, right? The, 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 the biblical definition, ecclesia, the gathering of believers. The world, the, the dictionary.com, the gathering of frail human beings. A church is not just hanging out with our friends or the people we choose. I've been, I've been guilty of that. Like, I've, I've held people up here and like, oh man, if I could just do church with them. Like, and I've, I've told people from time to time, like, uh, people have come to me and said, look, we love you, but we don't want to come to your church because we don't want to ruin the relationship. What? What? Like, shouldn't that, like, shouldn't we be fighting hell together if we love each other? Like, shouldn't that be part of it? Like, if you, if you need to tell me hard things, I pray that I hear the love in your voice for me. Right? And vice versa. And vice versa. Acts 6. 1 through 2. Now listen, we're talking about Acts 2, right? We have been for the, this is week 11. Next week we'll finish it. Right? We're talking about Acts 2. Not very long after we get to Acts 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint... A complaint in the church by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. This is the birth of what we have today in deacons. This is the birth of the deacon ministry. This Acts 6 is the call of a deacon. Okay, it's the call of a deacon. Why? There was a complaint that arose that the widows were falling through the cracks. Have you ever been in a church where where people fall through the cracks? You have, because you're here. People fall through the cracks. We don't want it to happen. We don't intend for it to happen. We don't look and say, oh, yep, Christina, she's falling through the cracks. Bummer. Right? No, that's that's not our demeanor. Like, we don't do that on purpose. Some people are like, yeah, they, they just let me fall through the cracks. No. It's not true. But people, the the widows were falling through the cracks in the daily distribution. The apostles didn't like it. The complaint arose because the apostles probably didn't even notice it, but the Hellenists brought it to their attention. So what did they do? They created deacons to wait on the tables of the people. Right? It was imperfect, but it was okay. They figured it out. But we can't figure it out if we don't know. I had someone six or seven years ago leave the church because they had a family member in the hospital for four weeks and I never went to visit them and I didn't find out they were in the hospital until two weeks after they were out of the hospital. Listen, I don't have the direct line to God that you think I do. He doesn't give me a list every morning of the people that are in the hospital, that are in my congregation. If you have an expectation of me, chances are I don't know it, especially now. Especially now. Like, I was, I was telling a friend of mine on Friday, like, man, like, we have over, Dan and Ian got together a couple weeks ago, but when we went pandemic, we had 260 names on our list. We have 356 now. God has expanded our congregation by almost 100 people in the last year, and we don't even know some of them. I went to a small group and taught spiritual gifts Tuesday night, and I met a girl that's been following our church for months now, has joined a small group, but has not once set foot in the, in, 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 in the Sunday gathering. Please don't have the expectation that I know. I'm dumb. Ask my wife. I need...
just because it was your birthday yesterday. Okay, I need your help in doing this well. Okay? And I'd like to think you need my help in doing this well. Because we need each other. Okay, so it was an imperfect place. Number two, number two, church is a holy habit. It's a holy habit. Hebrews 10.24. Oh, I wish we knew the author of Hebrews. There's an argument. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Call the church right there. Call the church. Your homework before you leave this place. Stir somebody. Stir somebody to love and good works. Tell somebody you love them. I had a pastor look at me Friday morning as we were sitting over omelets. And he looked at me and he said, I have not had somebody encourage me about my preaching in two years. I just want an attaboy. I just want someone to love me too. Right? Okay? I'm good. Lois encouraged me after the 8.30 service. You're good. Okay? You don't have to do that. All right? I'm not saying that for me. I'm just saying, like, like we are so quick to criticize those up front, but there's a reason that the average tenure of a pastor is only 18 months. There's a reason. If you're a turtle on a stump, you didn't get there by yourself. Okay, there's a reason. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The epidemic of loneliness in our world is the fruit of radical individualism. I am my own God, so I don't need you. This body of Christ thing, that's great. That's for the rest of y'all. I'm good. You're wrong. God gave you the gift of the local church because he knew that you would need it to be fulfilled as a child of God. There's many expressions. Francis Chan and the 80-something house churches, small groups that get together and stuff. That's great. That's beautiful. I love that. I don't think that works here. Okay? The, 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 the satellite church down in South Carolina that has like 22 campuses. That's awesome. God's doing amazing things. 83 people came to the Lord last Sunday and are, are being baptized today. That doesn't work here in our context. It doesn't. Like, that's beautiful. I'm not criticizing it. Like, yay, God. That's awesome. And when I, I, should, I should be more careful in saying that doesn't work here. That doesn't work for us. Like, I've already said, like, me over the radio is one thing. Me on a TV screen, some of y'all know from the last year, like, it just, it's not, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another, building one another up. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. We've got to move away from this church is about me, this radical individualism, because God's church is a gift to the believer. 
And then lastly, Jesus is the head of the church. This is important. This is important. It's important. Goes back to authority. Goes back to lordship. Jesus is the head of the church. We have a we have a saying around here that we want to be in the dust of the rabbi. As God moves, so we move. We're entering into an exciting time. I can say it's an exciting time because I'm preaching right now. Six other days out of the week, I'm terrified. Because I don't really know what four weeks from now looks like. I don't know what three months from now looks like. I don't know what two years from now looks like. I hope it looks like a brand new facility that's a community center that's open to the to the community. Uh, you, you get it. You've heard the vision for the building, right? But I don't know. But you know what? If Jesus is the senior pastor of Summit, and I believe he is, if we focus on loving each other and loving him, praising him, and keeping our eyes on him, we can gather together, put on a mask, sit six feet apart, follow whatever guidelines are put over us, submit to the authority of God in that, and we can worship. The next few weeks will not affect our worship. It might affect our comforts, but it will not affect our worship. Jesus is the authority in the body of Christ. May we never, may we never miss that. May we never miss that. He is the authority. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Come on, worship team, so I stop talking. Um, Matthew 28 is where we get the Great Commission. And right before the Great Commission, Scripture says that some still doubted. They were doubting the resurrection. They were doubting what was happening right before their eyes. Some still doubted. That right there is why Jesus starts the Great Commission. Most of you know it. All authority. All means all, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Jesus is the authority in the body of Christ. What a gift. What a gift that we have to get to be together, be devoted to these things, be filled up as the body so that we can go be the body. And praise the one who called us and expand his kingdom. Amen. Let me pray for us. And listen, as we pray, and I want to be sensitive to this. I want to be sensitive to this. Because I recognize, again, not everybody in here is unwounded by church. I know that some of us sitting in here probably have walls built around our heart that are thick and they're high. 
And they protect us from the gift that God has given us in the church. And I just want you to know this morning, I'm praying for you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to know your, I, I don't want to know your story unless God leads you to tell me your story. I'm not, trying to, I'm, I'm not trying to place myself in that position, and I'm not telling you that we're perfect here. But I'm burdened for you. I'm burdened for you. I don't know why we're the only army that shoots our wounded. I don't know why we chew each other up and spit each other out because it's not the way God intended this to be. And it breaks me. But if I could challenge you with something, a prayer, God wants to break down those walls. God wants you to experience the gift that is his bride again. He's not through with you in his body yet. And so some of us need more grace than others. And some of us need to re-grace more than others. But if you're sitting here this morning, if you're listening to this later, and the walls around your heart towards the body of Christ are thick and they're high. I'm praying for you that God breaks those walls. Because I'm burdened that you're missing out on one of the biggest gifts apart from salvation that He gave you in togetherness with a group of people. So Father, I pray that you break down the walls in our heart. That you heal the scars and the wounds from people. God, it's so true that hurt people hurt people. Some of us, it's a defense mechanism. Some of us, it's the way we cope. Some of us, it's different things, but one thing is true across the board is that when we're consumed with that, we're missing out on the blessing and the gift that is your gathering. And so I pray now that you fill our hearts with gladness, that you restore the joy of the body of Christ, the bride. that this isn't about us. It's about you. In Jesus' name.